I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, I need you to pay close attention to this message. It is not an ad. This is about Canada land, and this is about you. You need to know that the news crisis is about to get a lot worse. You've heard about the layoffs. We're about to have news closures, and it's very likely that we're going to be seeing the defunding of the CBC. Where are you going to get your information from? What can you do about this? You can support Canada land. We need you to. And so for this month and this month only, you can become a Canada land supporter and get everything our supporters get for just $2 a month. That is an almost 80% discount. The clock is ticking on this. It disappears at the end of the month, and then we will not offer it. We need your support. We need to keep news coverage alive in Canada. Go right now to canadaland.com slash join. And thank you. This episode of Canada Land is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress that is trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. It's a great mattress at a very reasonable price point. Comes with a 20-year warranty And a great deal for our listeners. Douglas is giving you a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. That is douglas.ca slash CanadaLand. Hey, Sandy Garasino. Hey, Jesse Brown. Journalist with the National Observer, joining me from Vancouver. Yes, nice and sunny here. How's everything back where you are? It's finally, like, decent. It's It resembles spring. Sandy, today we're going to talk about springtime for Hitler in <laughs> Canada. Our newspapers can't seem to decide if Nazis and bigots are really all that bad. Or, you know, just a bunch of misunderstood man-child misfits. Thankfully, the courts have taken a firmer stand. And Vice Admiral Mark Norman's treatment at the hands of the Canadian government, worse than Guantanamo Bay, apparently. Yeah. Glad to have you here. Nice to be here. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Strath Goodship, Nicholas Gertler, Piper Deck, Mike Wabe, Andrea Houston, Danielle Chenever, Jason Schmidt-Uld, and Jill Campbell-Miller. 
I'm a postdoctoral fellow in history living in Halifax. I support Canada Land because when I start listening to it, I found myself always downloading it right away, especially the shortcuts episodes. I really value journalism. I consume a lot of journalism, but there's a lot I didn't know about the practice of journalism, and so I've learned a lot from Canada Land. And this episode is brought to you by FreshBooks. Sandy, as you know, you've heard me talk about this before. Everybody can create, customize, and send branded and professional-looking invoices in about 30 seconds using FreshBooks. It takes about half the time that it takes to do it anywhere else. And here is a new feature of FreshBooks. The thing with FreshBooks is it is made so stupid, simple, easy for anyone to use. It's for people like me who hate accounting, but it also needs to be high-powered and professional and detailed in a way that makes your accountant's work easy as well. So they've added something with that in mind. They now provide double entry accounting reports and tools that help you plan for the future and evaluate the current health of your business. Do I know what a double entry report is? No, I do not. And that's the point. I don't have to. FreshBooks knows what it is. It is an industry standard format so that your accountant will also love the fact that you've got FreshBooks. Try it out. Why not? You get it for free for 30 days because you listen to this show. Go to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. That is freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Sandy, this headline I want to read to you from the Regina Leader Post. Man claims to have taken and burned controversial flags seen in the town of Kelleher. Controversial flags <laughs> were seen. I'm intrigued. Controversial. Let's look into this. <laughs> yeah, I, I like controversial things. I like edgy, controversial comedians, you know. I lost uh, a few pounds with that controversial keto diet. <laughs> I, uh, You know who's controversial? Elon Musk. I'm interested in him. I'm intrigued by controversial things. Please tell me more about this controversial flag, Regina Leader Post. And it's a Nazi flag. Oh, oh, no, really? A Nazi flag? It is, it is a Nazi. Okay. All right. But, you know, headline writers make mistakes, you know. I'm sure that the reporter on this story surely did not waffle on classifying a Nazi swastika as a hate symbol, right? Why do the media have such a hard time addressing this? Like, there's just I this... I, I'm stunned hmm. at the kind of mealy-mouthed timidity about confronting Nazis. Like, yeah. what are they going to do? Call you a bad person? Say that your media coverage is biased against Nazis? I don't get this timidity. No, it's just reporters want to be fair. We don't know for sure. I mean, the article actually contains this. While the swastika is a symbol with many okay. styles and meanings, you know, we don't know. This could have been some ancient Sanskrit application of the swastika. This could have been some mystical Zoroastrian swastika. No, it's the red flag of Hitler with the white circle and the black swastika. The article speculates... Maybe, you know, it was used as the emblem for the German Nazi party and is commonly seen to represent racial supremacism, you think. Which, by the way, they, they plagiarized that passage from Wikipedia. <laughs> Wait, what is it about everybody knows the Nazi symbol? You don't even have to explain it. And what is this business about investigating, you know, the person who tore down the Nazi symbol. This is this is like we're going to investigate Brie Newsom for tearing down the Confederate flag 
Um, in what state was that? that was, anyway, it's just symbols with universally understood meaning are universally understood. And the media doesn't need to overthink or explain this. And I think for once, could we just please condemn Nazism, condemn everyone associated with it, condemn white supremacy. This is unconditional. This is not a negotiable. And we don't need to be, you know, many fine people on both sides of this. I mean, there should be somebody in this country, and it should be the media that stands up and says, this is beyond the pale. This is outside the realm of accepted debate. Apparently we cannot. <laughs> apparently we cannot denounce we Nazis can. anymore. Yeah. Apparently we cannot. And it's not just a Regina Leader post. Here's the CBC. And Sandy, you were right. They like named and shamed the person who destroyed the Nazi flag. They didn't name the guy who raised it. And the mayor, Mayor Darcy King of Kelleher, said the village has also fielded complaints about the flag, which he said was put up by a 34-year-old resident who, quote, never grew up. You know, don't be too quick to judge Billy. We're just waiting for him to turn that corner. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's the other thing. Since when? When do members of visible minorities ever get this treatment of just, you know, never grew up? Just like a little immature, a little immature. Little Adolf was a little immature in his 40s. Huh? It it goes on like this. It's incredible. The CBC piece, not the Regina Leader Post piece that was that was uh, dragged so heavily. The CBC Post goes on to actually wrestle with this question. Well, you know, we have anti hate speech laws here in Canada, but but does this qualify? Does the Nazi flag qualify as hate speech? And they call up an expert, Richard Moon, professor of law at the University of Windsor. Quote: I think it's distinctly possible a court would find this hate speech intended to stir up hatred against the members of a group against Jews. You think, Professor? <laughs> uh, but then he has to determine, well, for it to qualify as hate speech, it would have to qualify as a, quote, display. I don't know. If you wave a flag, is that a display? I'm not sure. Well, I mean, this is where we've kind of got with the over analysis and, you know, wanting to be completely accurate in every way. I mean, there just comes a point at which it's just stupid. And this is part of the, as much as I get a little bit anxious about people who are concerned about too much political correctness, but part of this is just the, the tendency to overanalyze, like just slam it. And everyone around the media and interacting with the media should be making it clear to media, we expect this. In Canada, we expect white supremacists to be condemned without any qualification, wholeheartedly and full-throatedly condemn it, condemn it at every chance. Because we've seen the dangers. We have people dead in their graves because of hate speech. And we have to start confronting exactly what kind of danger we're dealing with here and not pretending that there's this is somehow debatable and you can line up on both sides of this thing. That's got to just be beyond the pale. But anyway, now I'm just repeating myself. No, I don't know. You know, my problems, you know, Sandy, like it's a slippery slope. If we decide that Nazis are all bad, then pretty soon you'll stop letting them work for, say, uh, the IT department of the 10th largest city in Canada. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which happened. Which happened. Vice News reported that Mark Lemire, remember Mark Lemire? Mm-hmm. Mark Lemire, the, the former leader of the neo-Nazi Heritage Front, the publisher of Freedom Site, where has he been? 
Oh, he's been a senior analyst in the IT department of the city of Hamilton with full access, according to a source, to everyone's email, including the first black city councilor in Hamilton. That's where Mark Lemire has been. Well, he won't be the only one. That's the really concerning thing. And that's one of the reasons we just really have to treat all of this with enormous care, especially when there is so much data and so much private information that's online. And, you know, this is a real and present danger to a lot of people. Okay, well, you know who has not had the same hand-wringing difficulty in condemning bigotry? The Ontario Superior Court of Justice. (laughs) This is what I want to talk about. I I mean, this is quite something. A $2.5 million summary judgment against Kevin Johnston. Have you read this ruling? I have it in front of me right now. Yes. Can we give people like a quick summary of, of this case? Oh, gosh. Quick summary? I don't know. I mean, this it's difficult is just, with this, this one. This is just so, so shocking. So the plaintiff here is Mohammed Faki, and who is the it's Paramount Fine Foods. He is the owner uh, and founder of Paramount Fine Foods, which has over 50 outlets and employs over 2000 people around the world, mostly in Canada. And he and his family were targeted by Kevin Johnson and another individual, Mr. Banerjee, and the most appalling and hateful things were said about them and about his business. His business was targeted. There was the accusation of systematically raping children. Muslims are rotten jihadists, that Paramount Foods was jihadist. I don't even really want to repeat the kind of things that were said. And Mr. Johnson then proceeded to go on this campaign, really, in a way, a campaign of terror, because one of the things that Johnson said was that uh, Muslims are in Canada to take this country over, to kill me, my children, kill the entire future of this nation. And he told people to go buy guns, people, go to the gym, learn how to fight, buy weapons, buy crossbow bolts, you know, stock up on your weapons, because we're going to be in for a confrontation. Well, we know where this kind of language goes. We know what where this is all going. You know, the, the Nazi flag is only just a part and parcel of all of this. And in fact, even the children of Mr. Faku were filmed, were targeted. He pursued him and pursued him as a family man while he was out with his children. I mean, it was a campaign, really, I think, a campaign of terror and terrorizing this man, his family, his business. His business associates were targeted. He lost key employees. He lost business opportunities internationally because people would Google his business and would find all of this and would find out allegations that he was um, a terrorist and a jihadist and that he was supporting all these things. I mean, it was just, it was, it was appalling. And finally, justice was done as this case went to trial and the trial judge uh, awarded punitive damages of two and a half million which is virtually unprecedented in Canada. And it's the it was the punitive award that is so, so striking and should be a shot across the bow, shall we say, of certain individuals who also flirt and pussyfoot around with this kind of language and these kinds of sentiments. Well done. I think that you did a fine job there. I'll add just a couple of things to it, which is to say the way that you describe uh, Kevin Johnston and this campaign of terror, you might get the idea that this is just some deranged, hateful person 
who has made it his business in some sort of Cape Fear way to terrorize uh, Mohammed Faki, who is sort of a pillar of the community, kind of like pulled himself up from his bootstraps, rags to riches story. And Paramount is this chain of fast food joints that's sort of like universally beloved. And he staffs all these young people and apparently treats them very well and, you know, gives a lot of money to charity. And I think he was targeted by Johnston because he hosted a Justin Trudeau fundraiser. And that's mm-hmm. kind of it. Mm-hmm. Now, Johnston may well be that deranged uh, character that, that I've conjured up here, but he is also a internet personality of the Faith Goldie, freedom talking, anti-Islam, you know, intellectual dark mm-hmm. web variety. And he's doing this as a commercial enterprise and has been for years on the Freedom Report. Mm-hmm. So this is really, I think, the first time that the Canadian courts, I don't know if I'm going to say exhaustively the first time, but if this guy's been existing in a bubble where he basically can kind of launch these jihads against his chosen enemies, terrorize them, terrorize this guy's kids, baselessly say, you know, to get into Paramount Fine Foods, it's it's a terrorist front. You've got to rape somebody for entry. Mm-hmm. Just this disgusting hyperbole, whipping up a crowd of fellow bigots asking for their money. These guys operate in a world where they're insulated from reality. They're preaching to the converted and they're egging each other and themselves on. And Johnston, you know, he gets a libel notice. He uses that for content. Well, fuck this libel notice. I'm going to double down on this. Mm-hmm. Fuck, he claims damages and says, you cost me a big business deal. Johnston says, I'm glad if I did. The court asks him to show up. He says, fuck you, judge. And he targets the judge yep. and says, this white woman judge is coming after me. So he's targeted uh, Faki's lawyers. Everything that's been thrown at him is just fodder for him to kind of style himself as this free speech warrior, as if he exists in a world without consequences for anything you say. That like You can kind of say anything and all it does is kind of help you with, with your base. And the courts had another thing to say about it. I mean, and, you know, you couldn't ask for a more... It couldn't happen to a nicer guy, first of all. And just if you read through this, you're like, okay, he wouldn't let himself be served with documents. He evaded court orders. He didn't get a lawyer. He had like this paralegal who didn't show up because he was stuck in traffic. He showed utter contempt for the court. He like, maybe he's got seriously problems and just like convinced himself that he's living in a world where, you know, this doesn't exist, where there's no limits to what he can say. And here's the court saying otherwise. And issuing a, an immediate injunction telling him to stop publishing, I can tell you, just looking at what's happened since, he's continuing to publish and he's continuing to flaunt this. And I think that uh, Kevin Johnston, maybe this is what he wants. They might have to throw him in jail and it'll be an interesting case to watch to see like, OK, he's done a lot of terrible things and, and he's certainly crossed the line into hate, certainly crossed the line into incitement to violence. So yep. I got no problem outlawing that, those forms of speech. But now he's like going to be potentially imprisoned for what he has said on the internet. Well, it's, you know, all of this is fascinating. It'll be fascinating to watch this progress because I do think that we are, we are at a really important moment around the internet and around, you know, we've been seeing Facebook and we've been seeing these efforts now by the large social media sites to try and deal with these largely in an effort to forestall uh, regulation, which I think is really coming. You know, in a lot of ways, when the internet, of course, as we know, when the internet was founded, there was blanket immunity from liability that was granted to platforms that hosted speech. In the, and the general idea was that we wanted to promote the development of the internet. Well, we've now promoted it into just a, a shockingly 
destructive force that has enormous, enormous potential to do incredible harm. And I do think that governments are going to, you know, really deal with this. And I think the courts are going to deal with this very, very strongly. I think that people have fooled themselves into thinking that they really can do anything on the internet. And, and, this was a wake-up call, and I hope it is a wake-up call to other people who are active on similar sites that are inciting, if not violence, inciting extremely destructive approaches or destructive views on minorities and particularly on Muslims. And I want to finish with one thing. I thought that this was a tremendous ruling and tremendous in every way. Uh, I'm going to say one thing. I'm looking at the background uh, by uh, Justice Ferguson. Mr. Faki is a Canadian Muslim businessman. Can we say, please, that the plaintiff is a Canadian businessman? The Muslim element is a factor that relates to the nature of this case, but that is not his identity. This man is a Canadian through and through, and he's entitled to be treated that way. And I'm so glad that the courts really stepped up here. And what's really interesting, and I contrast this with the Ezra Levant defamation lawsuit where $80,000 was the award in that case um, that he had to pay over $80,000. And I think the courts have just set a new price on hate. Sandy, who could say anything after that? I'm going to anyhow. I don't know if I agree with you that this is a cause for regulation to crack down on the Internet. The government needs to do something about this kind of sewage. They just did. If we apply the laws we already have, it doesn't matter. Like, There's some stuff in this ruling that's like, oh, he's a self-styled Internet journalist. Like, none of that has anything to do with what he did wrong. Like whether he's a self-styled journalist or whether the fact that he's on the Internet, that's got nothing to do with the laws that he broke or the harm that he caused. He defamed and libeled somebody in the most obvious and egregious way of any case I can think of. And I think that, yeah, like I'm a little bit leery about raising the damages in Canadian libel rulings. But if ever there was a case that merited it, it's this one. I mean, we don't want to be in the in the American situation where there are these 100, 200 million dollar ridiculous rulings. But I got no problem with the figure here. And if you think that this should be a warning to others who are also spreading bigotry online, well, so does the justice explicitly in the ruling says, like, we are making an example out of this guy. We need to do something about this kind of speech. I'm pretty much coming around to antitrust stuff on the Internet and Internet regulation. But why this means that we need to get the government more involved in policing speech online. Why don't we just start with policing speech with the laws that we have? Let me say this, Jesse. I don't think the government should be involved in policing speech online more than what this case indicates. What I want is for the platforms to have the very same liability that every other platform has. If the National Post or if the CBC broadcast this they would have to wear this. And what's, yeah. what's been happening is it's the, it's, see what happened with the internet is that they got a favor that no other business enterprise gets. They got blanket immunity from liability. And that is where I think the biggest issue is. It's not really about what rules we want to set for them. They should have the same rules of the road as every other business. I think we might be saying the same thing. I, I agree. think we are. I think we are. So there. <laughs> <laughs> Fine. Fine. <laughs> 
This episode is brought to you by Douglas, a mattress trusted by more than 200,000 Canadians from coast to coast to coast. Trust is important. There are a lot of mattress lies out there, a lot of mattress liars. And I, I, I didn't intend the pun, but it occurred to me that there is one as I was saying those words. Listen, I am not lying to you. Uh, I have uh, experienced the Douglas mattress. It is an exceptional mattress at a surprisingly affordable price point. It is a mattress that sleeps cool, doesn't have that weird thing in the summer where the mattress gets like an oven. It's a very good product. It's delivered to your house in a box. You don't have to go to a big mattress store. It is a medium firm mattress, which is what Canadians prefer. And it comes with a 365-night trial and a 20-year warranty. What more can I tell you? Douglas is giving our listeners a free sleep bundle with each mattress purchase. Get the sheets, pillows, mattress, and pillow protectors free with your Douglas purchase today. Visit douglas.ca slash CanadaLand to claim this offer. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. Uh, it's amazing the things that we tell ourselves to talk ourselves out of getting help. Anybody who's actually gotten help knows that the process of getting things off your chest, of taking your stressors, your problems, and just like not letting them be bottled up, working through just conveying them to somebody Half of the battle is just doing that. You unburden yourself. And you know what? If you have a real mental health professional, no, they don't have magic bullets or magic words that make it all go away. But often they can help you see things a little bit differently and guide you to strategies or tools or to a new perspective that actually does Help. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. Because you listen to this podcast, you get 10% off of your first month at BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. That's BetterHelp.com slash CanadaLand. Sandy Garasino, on this program, CanadaLand Shortcuts, we duly note things that uh, really need to be duly noted, highlighted, flagged that maybe you're not getting the attention they deserve. What do you have for us today? Well, it's interesting that you say this because it is 10.37 a.m. as we're recording in Vancouver, British Columbia, and I have not been checking Twitter while while you've been doing your long uh, soliloquies on our, on our different subjects. Not that long. But I expect that right now the uh, Premier of British Columbia, well, I don't know that he is, but it's widely expected that he is going to open a public inquiry into money laundering in British Columbia. And just we know for the people across Canada, we have, we in British Columbia have had to deal in an astonishing way with the impact of money flowing into the country and often from sources that we have not tracked and we do not know where they are. But put it this way, according to experts in Vancouver, in British Columbia, it looks like we have got $75 billion in real estate that is owned by foreign owners in British Columbia, many of whom are not here. We have thousands of luxury vehicles that are being uh, sold and then shipped out of the country to China, almost half a billion dollars in 2018 alone in Lamborghinis, Maseratis and Ferraris that were sold through fake buyers, thousands of fake buyers. We have a huge problem. It's affected our real estate. It's affected 
everything about the cost of living here in British Columbia. And I believe that this is probably also, if it's happening here, it is also happening across Canada. And we're going to be getting into it in British Columbia. And I'm hoping that um, when we stop recording, I'm going to turn on Twitter and find out that the provincial government has called a public inquiry into getting to the bottom of what happened, how it happened, and who is responsible. Well, our producer, David, informs me that 55 seconds ago, Premier John Horgan did just that. He's announced the public inquiry into money laundering in B.C. Well, I'm extremely gratified. This is something that I personally have fought for for a long time, uh, and I'm extremely uh, delighted to see that we're finally going to get there. And I do hope we get to answers because there were decisions that were made by government individuals. There were uh, law enforcement units that were disbanded when they warned about corruption and money laundering laundering in our casinos. We had regulators and oversight people who were fired when they rang the alarm about money laundering and organized crime in our casino and gambling industry. And decisions were made by people in government. And I very, very much want to know who made what decisions and why was this left to develop into the disaster that it has. And it has hurt so many people and especially home buyers or anybody or renters who are trying to live affordably in this city. And you can hear all about it on a terrific episode of Commons Corruption. Archie Mann, uh, following your footsteps, uh, did a great take on this. Duly noted. Thank you. I want to duly note a update on a story we told you about a week or two ago that uh, Ricochet Media, the progressive media outlet uh, based in Quebec, they were being sued by the columnist Richard Martineau, who's an Islamophobic, disgusting troll. Uh, anyhow, Ricochet published a satirical obituary of Richard Martineau, and Richard Martineau launched a $350,000 libel suit against them. Uh, really, uh, in, in my view, a, a chill suit to get them to shut up and stop insulting him through this clearly satirical piece of commentary. That lawsuit has technically been settled, but I think it's very clear this was an absolute victory and vindication for Ricochet. Ricochet has given not a penny to Martineau, has not apologized, has not retracted. And I think that this has gratified my my concept of this as, as purely a, a wounded ego, shut up and stop talking about me lawsuit, the, the kind we need far fewer of in this country. Duly noted. Okay, Sandy, I want to talk about the fallout from the Mark Norman case. Last week on this show, I was trying to provide listeners with as efficient a summary as I could about this complicated case. And uh, definitely, you know, with aspects of opinion in my analysis, suggested very strongly that I suspect that this was not an apolitical affair and that there's lots of reason to believe that Justin Trudeau's government would want this to be disappeared, that there might have been a motivating factor from the Trudeau government in uh, staying the charges against Vice Admiral Norman. And we kind of just went through uh, every reason that uh, that there is to believe that. That's fine. And I'm, I'm fine with what was said on the show. Then we made an error in the show notes where we actually just conflated the things and wrote down the liberals have dropped the charges against mm. Vice Admiral Norman. That's an error. And and one that I'm I'm not trying to you know downplay. It's a so we corrected it. We corrected it on the site, and I'm I'm highlighting that correction right now. Nevertheless, there were some listeners who were really upset with me and felt like it was a irresponsible. Certainly, as a reporter lacking a smoking gun, I can't prove to you that the Trudeau government had anything to do with this, even though Norman's superior 
had this weird, suspicious cabinet meeting. I mean, there's just so many reasons, not least of which, I mean, where, Sandy, where might I have gotten the idea that the Trudeau government might interfere with the judicial process? <laughs> I don't, where could I I, have gotten I don't that know concept? where you would have got that idea, Jesse, but there's certainly no precedent. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you know, there's a distinction that's important to me, but not always so clear to listeners, which is that, you know, sometimes I'm functioning as a reporter, in which case I'm just going to show you what we found. But on this show, it's analysis and, and opinion. And yeah, I absolutely think this was a political case where the Trudeau government had a hand in disappearing this. But yeah, I don't know that for a fact. I can't report that. What do you think? I'm less concerned than you are. You know, it's actually interesting. And John Ibbotson had a piece in the Globe yesterday, but he pointed to something that I had forgotten, which was that in the recording that Jody Wilson-Raybould made of her telephone conversation with Michael Wernick, she actually went out of her way to distinguish her concerns over the SNC-Lavalin conversation that was taking place right then and distinguished it from the Norman case and, and said, you know, that she considered there to have been no issue about the Norman case or no suggestion of interference. The whole case has been kind of interesting. You know, it's interesting that... Um, it's unusual. Marie Hennan brought a lot of supplementary evidence to the prosecution. That's really unusual. Here, she actually went and took the evidence to the prosecution. You know, the, the suggestion seems to be, and everybody seems to be saying that the DPP, the Director of Public Prosecutions, actually conducted the case in a really proper way. So, I'm sure that the Liberal government was extremely interested in what was going to be happening with the Norman case. I'm sure there was a lot of back chatter and discussion, but there probably is, you know, that's the nature of government. I'm not finding, you know, the smoking gun here. And I do think that we have to be careful when we're dealing with the director of public prosecutions and the integrity of the justice system that we not get out over our skis uh, and make claims if we can't substantiate them. I mean, I, I agree in theory. It's simply a matter of like uh, the public is just treated with such utter disdain in this whole thing. I mean, for the government to get imperious and say, you know, we had nothing to do with this. Where could you have gotten that idea? We're never going to know what actually happened. They have like viciously guarded their secrets. Hanane um, flagged them for dragging their heels on providing correspondence and documents that she needed. And obviously to actually air this out in court and find out if there was interference right before an election and all the, you know, President's Choice memories of SNC. Lavalin that that would conjure up during the campaign cycle, there's very good reason to doubt their credibility. I'm like, I'm all for giving people benefit of the doubt unless they compromise that. And we have this weird idea about conflicts of interest in this country. Like a conflict of interest is not, you don't have to have like, well, you're the judge in this case, but you're also the defendant's father. And, uh, and that's why you let him off. It's already a conflict just for that person to be serving both of those roles. And the appearance of conflict of interest is kind of the same thing as a conflict of interest. This government has been like to hear that Wernick conversation with Jody Wilson Raybould is to listen to the Trudeau government trespassing on the judicial process, pressuring egregiously and blithe and, and, and arrogantly refusing to understand that. And once you've heard that, why do we owe them 
the benefit of the doubt in a case like the Norman case? Because it's not about the liberals. This is about the administration of justice. And this is about the public prosecutions and the attorney general role. And that is not the liberals. And I do think that we have to um, give respect to that unless we're seeing real substantial evidence of concern. But I want to talk about something, another aspect of this case, which is that Toronto Sun editorial, that the uh, the insult oh to Norman God. is that Omar Cotter was treated better. I saw that, Sandy. The Sun, uh, it was actually the cover story of the Toronto Sun, which had a picture of Vice Admiral Norman and then a picture of Omar Cotter and asked the question, which one is being treated better by the government? And the suggestion being that we're actually being crueler to poor Vice Admiral Mark Norman than uh, Omar Cotter, who, of course, got his ten and a half million dollar payday. Omar Cotter, Canada sent as a child to Guantanamo Bay to be tortured. So uh, who got the better treatment? I, you know, make up your own mind. And of course, we all know about Omar Cotter's spending how many years in Gitmo in Guantanamo Bay, often in uh, conditions that really amounted to torture. And he was interrogated under really appalling conditions that I think very clearly established torture. And this would be in its own way, a really offensive thing to say. But I don't know if people have read any of my pieces on uh, the Omar Cotter case. But I think that Michelle Shepard of the Toronto Star did phenomenal work. And I think that there's a very strong case that had Mr. Cotter gone to trial, in fact, I don't have any doubt at all that it had Mr. Cotter had access to the Canadian criminal justice system, he would never have been convicted. He would probably have been exonerated uh, in the way that Mr. Norman was. He would probably be able to live free with no record at all, not because he would have been improperly acquitted, but because I think that he wasn't guilty. And, you know, the thing, the, the most striking thing about the Omar Cotter case was that he did not have access to the criminal justice system. He had no access to the presumption of innocence. He sat there in Guantanamo Bay while Dick Cheney said that that place was for the worst of the worst terrorists in the world. And if they weren't going to keep them there forever, they would have to kill them. So the only way for Omar Khadr to get out of that place was to plead guilty. And everything about that case was a kangaroo court and a sham. And, you know, good on Mr. Norman, on Vice Admiral Norman, that he was able to access the luxury of the Canadian criminal justice system to win exoneration that escaped other people. That's your Canada Land Shortcuts. You can email me about it at jesse at canadalandshow.com. I read everything that you send. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. Sandy, where can people find you? You can find me at the National Observer, and you can find me at, on Twitter at Garasino. I mentioned Commons earlier. There's a new episode of Commons' current series on crude, on Canada's oil addiction, and it's a fascinating one about how there are thousands of abandoned oil wells all across Western Canada, and guess who's going to have to pay to clean them up? Find out on Commons. This episode is produced by David Crosby. Our managing editor is Kevin Sexton. Syndication is by CFUV 101.9 FM in Victoria. Visit them online at cfuv.ca. If you like what we do, if you want to support us, there's a bunch of different things we could send you, and one of those is a link to ad-free versions of all of our podcasts. We really rely on your support. You can help us out at patreon.com slash CanadaLand. Thank you.
Jen, there's an election coming up in the fall, and you may have noticed that Canadian politics has gotten a little bit bonkers recently. I mean, there's the SNC-Lavalin affair, Nazis are back now, I guess. There's Jason Kenney's civil war, Doug Ford is blowing up Ontario, and apparently PEI is now powered by fish. The point is, so much crazy shit is happening right now that it can be hard to keep up. That's why we're here. As the election looms, our podcast, Oppa, will keep you informed about the week in Canadian politics. Along the way, we're going to be speaking to Canada's top politicians, a whole bunch of the bottom ones, and everybody in between. So listen to Oppo for all the twists and turns as the election comes. That is O-P-P-O, and you can find it wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.